I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word to Ephesians. We have already read the text for the sermon today, as the text for the sermon was our assurance of pardon this morning from Ephesians 1, 2 through 6. We are going to now uh, hopefully unpack why that passage is such an amazing comfort and how it provides unwavering confidence to those who are receiving God as he is communicating himself through those words by faith and by faith alone. To read it one more time. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. If you were to keep going, here in chapter 1, look down um, in verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Are you picking up on repetition there with regards to what Paul is unfolding for us? Well, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are a God who communicates yourself in so many different ways, but primarily through speaking speaking that has taken place in the past, speaking that continues to take place as your word is living and active. And so help us today, O oh God, to, to take our hearts and minds and focus them into listening for your voice through your word and speak to us and overwhelm us in Christ. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The title of the sermon this morning is Embracing, Experiencing, and Expressing Our Theology of Extravagance. Now, I don't know if you have noticed through uh, the service so far, especially if you were to look back over the, conf uh, the confession of sin that we prayed, but there is a lot of thick, descriptive adjectives that were purposely thrown in that are words that you and I don't typically use on a daily basis. Limitless radiance of your being. Did you pray that this week? 
magnify everything but you, to find satisfaction, we exchange immortal glory for decaying trinkets. See, savor Christ. Did you ask the Lord for that this week to help you see and to savor? It's a lovely word. What does it immediately bring to your attention? Food. Didn't Solomon tell us something about the command to enjoy good food as an expression of our faith in God? Amen. Savor Christ. Enlarge our hearts to cherish, to adore. Fill us with the fullness of joy, the boundless pleasures of your presence to magnify to the world. I always love flowing this one in because I know none of you pray it because I forget to pray it. The superiority of the manifold perfections of God's worth. Now, what did I just say there? God, you're awesome. But what's the difference between saying God is awesome and God, I want to magnify the superiority of the manifold perfections of your being? Words matter. The words that we use, the way we use the words that we use. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. By the way, what's the difference? All right, we're Christians. What's the difference between hallelujah and alleluia? We sing both, right? What's the difference? Do you know what you're doing when you sing the difference of those two words? Anybody, what's the difference between hallelujah and alleluia? Oh, so spiritual. I was just going that one has an H. <laughs> one is a Hebrew word transliterated into English. So if you were to read the word hallelujah in the Hebrew text, guess what you would say? Hallelujah. Alleluia is hallelujah in Latin. Because the English didn't have its own specific word for taking the idea of praise and bless the Lord and communicate it in one word. So we had to borrow from other languages. So in your English text, when you see hallelujah, you are saying a Hebrew word. You didn't know you knew Hebrew. When you say hallelujah, you're saying the exact same thing, but you're saying it in Latin. You are bilingual. And if you have a little English as well, hmm. Right? Words matter. Because words aren't empty. And words come from God. Language comes from God. Language is a medium that I believe God has made up in order to facilitate his communicating himself to us. 
I don't think that the relationship within the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is facilitated through the medium of language. But God made us, and he made us to know us. He made us to love us, which means there has to be communication. And I believe that he created language as the medium by which to communicate, not only to communicate with us, but to communicate himself to us, which is why the height of the revelation of God to us is Jesus Christ in flesh, who is told, we are told, is what? The Word. I learned a new word yesterday, and I'm going to butcher it. Laodiceanitis. Did I get it right? Laodiceanitis. Oh. Y'all aren't familiar with this? It is way more dangerous than COVID-19 could ever be. But as Daniel told the men yesterday at breakfast, it is a very real virus that will eat away your soul from the inside out and the outside in. Laodiceanitis, oh, I did it wrong again, but you know what I mean. Well, I actually probably don't. You're probably still going, what? The church of Laodicea was a church that received a message from Jesus Christ that they were neither hot nor cold. And guess what? He doesn't like that. In fact, he tells us exactly what he thinks about it. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. That's pretty serious. What does it mean to be neither hot nor cold? It means you're not engaged. And how easy is it, especially for a Presbyterian church, who focuses on teaching the Bible, which is an amazing thing to learn. How easy is it for us to take the words of Scripture and turn them into simple propositional statements that are to be embraced intellectually and to forget that though they are those things, they are so much more and that they are the medium by which God communicates himself not just ideas about himself it is the vehicle by which he gives himself to us over and over and over and over words are important the way we use words are important because God shows this to us in the way that he has engaged us. And beloved, it becomes so easy, it becomes so tempting when you are constantly surrounded 
by the word of God, when you are surrounded by the people of God, while you when you have this wonderful fellowship, whereas there is this mutual edification as who you are in Christ, to start to become comfortable. And to even at times, when, when you are struggling with something, and maybe your, your wife or your husband or, or, or a friend or your pastor, probably not the pastor, comes alongside you to say, but here is who you are in Christ. How many times have you been tempted to go, well, yeah, I know that, but, right? But there's this issue. There's this problem. My career is not going the right way. I don't, I don't have all the money that I think I should be getting or I don't have all the money that I think I need or, or I, I don't have all the money that I need. Right? I'm sick. My body's falling apart. The diagnosis was cancer. The diagnosis was COVID. Uh, once again, I may have been exposed. I have no idea. Now I have to sit at home for 10 days. Right? There is so much going on, especially right now. And then you add to that, as we have been talking about in here, the way that our culture right now is on fire with violence. Whether that violence is being expressed through words, whether that violence is being expressed culturally, whether that violence is, has to do with the unfolding of things in Afghanistan, whatever it is, we are surrounded in all of this at all times every day. And that if you are spending your time and your energy cultivating that real reality, that is what will take over your heart and your life. Your walk with God will come to be dominated by the concerns of the, earth, of the earthly world that though they are real, they are temporary. Though they really hurt, they are finite. And what we have heard from Paul is that in Christ, that life that you experience as you continue to experience the own, your own sin within your own hearts, as you continue to experience the sin that exists in a fallen world, as you continue to experience this sin in others against you, right? Are you going to define yourself? By that? Or are you going to define yourself according to the new perspective, the heavenly perspective, your new identity in Jesus Christ as one who is participating already in the reality of his resurrection from the dead? Where the new creation has dawned in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And beloved, we live in both realities simultaneously. So which one are you going to cultivate in your life? Well, Paul knows that what you and I need 
is what the Ephesians needed. As we said, this is a young church that had just recently come out of paganism. They, they, they are a young church that has some, uh, some, some Jews who have embraced Christ who are being kicked out of their families, being kicked out of the synagogue, who are finding themselves now to be the targets of persecution by the people that they have known and grown up with their whole lives, right? This is not an easy situation. And yet these people have experienced a powerful experience of the conversion of Jesus Christ. Where Paul came in, building upon the teaching uh, that was already taking place there. And Apollos, and Priscilla, and Aquila. And he brings the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the Jesus, the God who came, took on flesh perfectly uh, devoted himself to the Father and kept the law, who through his perfection then became a substitutionary sacrifice, dying for us on the cross, and then was raised in a victorious vindication by his Father and declared righteous when he rose from the dead. And all of that, beloved, is granted to you if you're in Christ by faith. So what is it going to be? How are you going to define yourself? Now, Paul's going to help us out. Because what he's going to do is this. He knows that every one of us can be so easily overwhelmed by the realities that we still face in this life. He knows that. And look, that's not weak to admit that. It is not weakness to say, I struggle with something. It is not weak to say, I struggle with, with this person, or I struggle with this situation or this circumstance, or I'm struggling with my heart. That's not weakness. But part of what you're doing when you are experiencing that, beloved, is what you are doing is placing a higher valuation on the thing that is challenging you than an evaluation of who God is, what he has done for you, and who you are now in Jesus Christ. See, what happens is when these things hit us, then the limitless radiance of the perfections of the manifold glory of God start to become, oh, God's awesome. And this thing that is earthly starts, I, I can't deal with it. It's overwhelming me. It's too much. You see what's happened there? Now what? Has the valuation actually changed? No. Is God less, glory, right? less glorious? Is this thing more powerful? No. What has changed is what your faith is latching onto. And so here's, here's what's just beautiful about what Paul was doing in, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 14. He begins to gush about how awesome God is with a theology of extravagance. Guess what the goal is? The goal is to overwhelm you with the awesomeness of God. 
because Paul knows how easy it is to become overwhelmed with lesser things. And so chapter 1, verse 2 through 14 is one sentence. Kids, don't learn to write on the basis of this sentence. You'll get all kinds of problems in school if you write this way. He writes a paragraph as a sentence. But what you see is the overflowing of his heart that he just can't stop. He just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. He doesn't say God is awesome. He communicates that idea. But what he says is, in Christ, you now live in the reality of the new creation so that God's eternal grace and peace that has been enjoyed within Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity is the air that you now breathe. That the waters of eternal grace that flow from God's heavenly throne is a cascade and waterfall under which you stand for eternity. As the unending waters just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. That's what it means to be in Christ. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Any good thing that can be yours in the new creation that you will have and enjoy for eternity, you already have. Are you feeling overwhelmed yet? All right, if not, all right, let's keep going. All of this, Paul tells us, is an expression of God's eternal purpose of setting his heart on you as his people in order to love you in a way that he loves his son. Before he ever even created the world, he set his heart upon having you as his treasured possession. What's a treasured possession? Is Gollum coming to mind? I hope not. But each of us have one, or many. But that, that, that thing that... that you're connected to emotionally and, and really something that is precious to you. God tells us in Deuteronomy 7, as we read earlier, that that's what you are. He has chosen us to be that to him. And he has done that not because we're worthy of him treasuring us, but the exact opposite. We are unworthy to be treasured by God in and of ourselves in our sin. In our sin, we have rebelled. We have rejected. We hate God in our sin. Even as we sang that if he had not loved us first, we would refuse him still, even to this day. 
But God comes to us and his coming to you. Not only is it not based on some kind of uh, eternal, uh, internal or inherent value within you. He has done this as an expression of his love that has not been done after the fact. This isn't on a whim. This isn't, oh, well, I'm bored today. What should I do? Oh, well, I'll call so-and-so to myself. No, he determined to set his love on you before you ever actually existed. Now think about what that means for God's love for you. If God loved you before he ever made you, Beloved, it is as though God has always loved you. It is as if he has never not loved you. Because he set his heart upon you. Now, right now, because I know this is a Presbyterian church, Oh, oh, the text says the word choose. Oh, it says predestined. Let's get into the nitty gritty. Well, guess what? Paul doesn't, so I'm not. Because his purpose here is not to try to explain something that God hasn't revealed. His purpose here is to overwhelm you with how awesome God's love truly is as it is eternal and as it is based on him, not you. Because guess what? If his love is based on you, if you are his treasured possession because of something in you or something that you have done, then guess what? That love that being treasured, it's not stable. And it will fluctuate on the basis of how your value or how your worth is being expressed, either in the inherence of your being or through the actions and emotions of, of who you are. Do you see that? This is not easy. But it's meant to overwhelm you with God's heart for you. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. And notice here. He didn't choose us because we are holy and blameless. He chose us in order to make us holy and blameless. Blameless, you get that, right? In Christ, you're counted as someone who has not only not broken the law, you are counted as one who has perfectly kept every law that God has ever revealed and commanded. Blameless. But you're holy. Now, a lot of times we use holy as a synonym for blameless. Or we'll use holy as a synonym for righteous. 
Righteous and blameless are synonyms. Holy is not a synonym with those things. Holy is, is the way in which we express something that has been pulled out and been set to a very specific and special purpose of devotion. Holiness is about devotion. Well, hold up. Doesn't the scripture say God is holy? In fact, doesn't Isaiah say God is holy, holy, holy? In fact, isn't that the only attribute of God that is repeated three times about God, that God is holy, holy, holy? Yes. Well, then how's that, what does that have to do with devotion? God, as a trinity, is perfectly and eternally devoted to the magnification of the glory of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is eternally and perfectly devoted. He, he, he is determined to make sure that all of reality takes in his beauty and, and his righteousness and, and how loving he is, as well as his wrath and his as justice, that all of who God is, God is perfectly devoted in magnifying that to everything. Now, if you and I lived with that existence, guess what? We'd be narcissists. But that's because you're not the most holy. It's because I'm not the most beautiful. I'll give you a minute to take that in. I'm not the most loving. I'm not the, the best. I, I'm not, I am not the embodiment of the perfections of God's moral will. I am not the definition by which truth, goodness, and beauty are understood. He is. And the only appropriate response for God to himself is to glorify himself in a perfect and eternal devotion of magnifying his worth to everything that he creates in order that in its existence it exists to appreciate that glory. And what, Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ is not only put this on the fullness of display before us, but he has now enabled us not only to take that glory in, but to enjoy it to be satisfied in the depths of our souls by it. Are you feeling overwhelmed yet? He predestined you, yes, to adoption so that in Jesus Christ, you have the fullness of the status of a son or daughter of the king. And with that comes the full rights and privileges of being God's son or God's daughter. That you have a heavenly father who is pleased in Christ to treasure you 
and to give you everything. Is that how you prayed to God this week? Or did you complain about the things you didn't have this week? I complained. I did some of this too, because the text was really working on me. But I did a lot of complaining as well. You are a son or a daughter in Jesus Christ. And you are that, he says, because of the intention of what he wants. He wants you for himself. And so he has taken you for himself. That's who you are in Jesus Christ. Now, all of this, we are told, we're going to end here. Whether it's in verse 3, or the, in verse 6, or as it gets repeated over and over and over, as Paul gushes about this theology of extravagance. What he says is all of this is to result in our praise and our blessing of God. Your response to being overwhelmed by the extravagance of who God is and what he is doing and who you are in Christ, the response is to be a response of overflow, of trying to capture in words how awesome God is. And that is why we have to have God's words, not only so that we can know how extravagant he is, but so that we can relate to him using his words that he has given about himself in order to be the expression and overflow of our hearts back to him. Because so often, beloved, the words that we tend to focus on and cling to are the words that describe our problems, our challenges. And the words we don't focus on are these amazing descriptions that God has given of himself. These amazing descriptions of who Jesus is. This unfathomable privilege of what it means for you to be his treasured possession. Because he set his heart on you in eternity and is doing everything, even against your wishes, to call you to himself and to keep you for himself in order that he might dote upon you for all eternity. Are you feeling overwhelmed yet? If not, I have failed today. But come next week, I'll try again. Because, beloved, the, the reality is this. You and I do fluctuate with this and what it means to grow in Christ is, is to, to grow in consistency of seeing God this way, seeing Christ this way, 
seeing ourselves in Christ this way. Doing that more and more and more. And guess what? It's going to be a roller coaster ride for you. And there are going to be things that come into your life that are going to tempt you to forget this or going to tempt you to minimize this or going to tempt you to take this for granted and tempt you to live a life of devotion in which your worship can be summed up with, well, God's awesome. Instead of a devotion that is gushing over how awesome and extravagant God has been and God is being and will be with us forevermore. Guess what we just did? We did theology. What we just did was talk about doctrine. That doctrine now is to fuel your devotion of a life of praise to God in this coming week and the way that you engage in the earthly responsibilities and vocations that God has given you as his son or as his daughter. And so, beloved, let your life be a life in which you embrace the extravagance of language in the descriptions of what God has given us so that your intuited interactions with God, yourself, and this world will be filtered through the extravagance of the truth that truly exists. Because it is in the extravagance that you will embrace more and more as you grow in Christ into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, so many things distract us and so many things can overwhelm us. So many things can get us, uh, get our attentions off or can get our hearts focused um, wrongly where our emotions and our, our wills, where our, our, our obedience, Lord, gets so scattered because we don't keep things in their proper perspective. Lord, help us to see that from the very beginning that the key to keeping things in their proper perspective is cultivating the extravagance of who you are and who we are in Christ. So that what we would, would say to ourselves, what we would preach to ourselves, what we would sing and pray back to you, what we would encourage one another with, is not just bullet point truth statements that are consistent with the Bible, but that we would, we would facilitate the communication of the eternal God towards one another through the extravagance of the words that you have given. Because even the words, the extravagant words that you have given cannot actually contain you. They can only merely attempt to describe you in a meaningful enough way that we can know you. And that we can be known by you. And so Lord, overwhelm us and help us to open ourselves up to the danger 
of trusting you to the fullness and to the depths of who you are in Christ and who you are making us to be in him as well. Lord, bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.